here and ain't no wannabes here With some not so nice advice for your writing career To be clear, no punches will be pulled But the punch may be spiked How they like before they get on the mic To my left we got the mighty Mer Lafferty And if I piss her off, believe me, she'll come after me And her co-host Matt Evan Wallace On the right, yes she may be half as hype But she can take him in a fight So settle in folks, buckle in and boot up Time to meddle in a way to make your writer shut up It's hard work, but the perk is that it's fun and exciting Facebook will still be there when you're done writing Ditch Diggers! Uh, this is Ditch Diggers, Season 7, Episode 5, I want to say? Somewhere around there, sure. And uh, again, I am streaming live on twitch.tv slash mightymurr. And again, I have a not Matt with me today. I am welcoming Cameron Hurley to fill the shoes of my excellent yet still missing co-host. How are you, Cameron? You know, I am doing pretty fabulous. It is spring and things are looking up, so I have no complaints. Good, good. Well, um, just to prove that Matt is still alive, you know, proof of life, we don't have him, like, cooling in a basement or anything, Matt says, I am currently igloo in a drunk, wish you was here. So, that is uh, Matt's thinking, and he's coherent enough to message us, so that's good. fine, yeah. Yes. It's positive. But uh, thank you for following Dib- Dribble of Ink. Good to see you. And um, Cameron and I are going to be talking about Author 202 or 201, whatever the second level of, of learning is supposed to be, because I've realized I've come up with lots of questions in my career that no one has been around to answer, and so I figured maybe I'll try to answer them now, or I'll ask Cameron, who has more experience than I do. But... First, Cameron, in case anybody doesn't know you, just in case you're a favorite of the podcast, but still, uh, tell us about yourself and your work. Yeah, I am Cameron Hurley. I have been uh, writing uh, professionally for many, many years, but my first novel was published in 2011, uh, the award-winning Gods War uh, trilogy. Of course, I've written also the World Burger Saga, and most recently the Light Brigade, uh, which I think was shortlisted for possibly a Hugo and a Clark Award or something. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I don't remember. It was COVID. I blame COVID for everything. That's true. That's uh, true. So I write a lot. I've written an essay collection, uh, and of course, uh, I'm I have a sporadic podcast uh, myself, and I sporadically update my blog. So that's me. Yes. Um, Cameron and I have been friends for a while. She's been a favorite on the podcast, and I always love having her because uh, she is definitely a ditch digger personality instead of a wimp like me. So uh, I have a couple of things I want to talk to Cameron about, so she will be back giving us um, more of her wisdom as not Matt as the summer goes on. But um, if you are new to the show, especially since I don't stream this show very much, this is Ditch Diggers. My name is Mer Lafferty, my usual co-host, uh, Matt Wallace is currently drunk, somewhere cold, and uh, won't be here for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to have some guest hosts to join me. This is a non-clean stream. This is uh, not not in an adult way, but in a dirty mouth kind of way. And uh, we talk about publishing in the sense that 
when publishing is your when writing is your job, you have to approach it like a ditch digger. You got to go to work and you got to dig the ditches. You can't afford the glorious tragedy of writer's block. You just can't afford it literally. So we are here to talk about the business of writing. And if you are a newbie or frankly don't have a thin don't have a thick skin, not that we assault, assault our listeners, but still, uh, if you don't have a, a, a if you're still a little fragile, then I recommend my other show, I Should Be Writing, which is more catered towards beginners. But, um, <laughs> so hello to chat. We've got Will and Catwood, Underpope, Suburban Gothic, Writer Benjamin says, welcome, Catherine. Kids are asleep, says, woo, excite. Catwood says, your eyebrows are on fleek, as the kids say, Cameron. Hell yeah, they are. And Numbers Ninja says, you are the definition of a ditch digger personality. You run the show. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Thank you. I just, uh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I tell the story all the time, so I have, I will only tell it in short, but Cameron and I have talked about our grandmothers before, and, and it, I, I, I love this story. I don't care. I love this story. Cameron's okay. grandmother. Perennial. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's an evergreen story. You go. It is. It yeah. is. I, I just think it, 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 it perfectly encapsulizes genetically why you are the way you are and why I am the way I am. Cameron's grandmother found a Nazi boot on the shore of a river in France and had to deal with the fact that if she was caught with it, then they killed like you and your family for hurting a Nazi, and so she threw the boot into the river. My grandmother won a turkey on a radio show giveaway, didn't know it was live, and put it in the trunk of her car and then parked and then opened up the trunk and was surprised when the turkey jumped out and flew or hobbled down the street and my grandmother went running after it. And so I always like to think if you want to know, you know, tough girl in France making a really scary decision or running down a suburban street screaming, that's, that's, you know, those are the people who made us what we are. I still think, again, they, that was ridiculous, doing a live turkey. They tried to run over on her, so. Yeah. You know what, props to her for running after her turkey. She deserved that. <laughs> that's right, it was her major award and she was going to have it. Award, yeah. That's right encapsulizes did i say that wrong is it encapsulates encapsulizes don't make fun of me numbers ninja i'm working here all right hey yeah so we're right make up words yes we're writers we do. it's like we're just we're just like shakespeare just like him just just like him yeah so anyway um i first got this idea when i was uh i'd arrived at Worldcon and i was uh i shared a cab with Patrick Nielsen Hayden from of tour from the uh, airport to the Khan Hotel and he was congratulating me on being nominated for something and I'm just like I have no idea what to put in this award speech if I win I it's like nobody ever tells you that why won't anybody tell you okay if you get nominated for an award here's a good sort of skeleton to build your award speech on nobody ever does that they just assume here here's an award nomination don't forget to write your speech and then they just leave it. And mm -hmm. I have wished that somebody would have told me how to write a speech. And I remember I was in the audience when you won your two Hugos for, uh, you won two, right, that year for the, the nonfiction <laughs> stuff? 
14, I think, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Maybe. I was very excited for you, and I was hoping I could uh, meet you, but you were, uh, you had a proxy there to uh, uh, accept. But, um, you know, you're more eloquent than I am. How would you approach, for a new person, and with their first award nomination, how would you say to approach an award speech? I would say... Remember that you are being given a platform uh, and that it is going to be reported on by a couple of news organizations, possibly, um, and to make the most of that as you can. Uh, and I, again, especially that year, was it was very heavily political for many reasons uh, for the Hugo Awards. So I was very aware that... Um, I had this tiny, tiny little uh, moment to say what I wanted to say. Um, if you are not that kind of person, if you're not like, well, this is my big moment to do a political speech, and we have had many people do political speeches, uh, obviously, for Hugo's, you know, the Oscars, many people, again, because you know, you have your moment, you will. Yeah. You don't ever know if you're those two minutes back again. Um, that said, you know, uh, Always, of course, you want to um, make a nod, you know, to everyone who is involved in making the book and reading the book and, and printing the book. Um, but to me, again, I have a very, I have a, I have a very, um, I think you need to think about what your career goals are. And my career goals were I want to change the world with what I write. Uh, and so when I go and make a, a speech, it tends to be like, hey, let's also remember to X, Y, and Z. Uh, I do take advantage of it quite a bit. Um, so it really depends. I, I think it, it depends on, you know, what is your message as a writer? What are you in this for? Do you just want to thank everyone who has helped you and move on because you just want to go back and, you know, do what you've been doing, that's perfectly fine. Or do you want to take advantage of that one minute, two minutes uh, to have a platform? Um, so I do think you need to think about it. And that, and that to me is why the Hugos especially have been so politicized is because folks do realize uh, that major media do pay attention to it, that Hollywood pays attention to it. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I would say, you know, consider what your mission is and what your goals are as a writer and also never forget who helped you get to where you are um yes and i think that's that's super important right that's super important at every step of the way um to not forget that the writing that we do and the, the work that we put out is a collaborative effort um, there are a lot of people involved in, in, in getting all of my stuff uh, to publication and make it as great as it is. You know, uh, I would not um, have written The Light Brigade the way that I did without my agent. Um, and again, her husband, who is our, our time travel consultant. So never forget, right? Like, the people who give you the chances, for sure. Yeah. So, what about um, you? What about me? My advice? What do you think? Yeah, what's your advice, Mark? You are the you're the host of the show. The host I know of the show, but I'm asking the questions because I didn't know the answers. Um, well, actually, yeah, I want to I, I want to bring up another thing. Not, maybe not political, but on an etiquette level. 
Um, if you have, for example, uh, my acquiring editor was not the person who was the editor when um, I was, I, the book came out and I got nominated. Well, I, you know, I was worried, would it be bad form for me to show appreciation to the person who uh, had acquired the book and did most of the editing, or is that rude because I'm not working with them anymore and they're not with my publisher anymore? No, I don't think it's rude at all. Okay. I had had that similar My God's War series, uh, where, yeah, it was originally um, acquired by uh, Juliet Ullman uh, at Bantam, who was laid off during the whole massacre mm-hmm. in 2008 of publishing. And, um, you know, she acquired the book. She gave it a chance. Uh, in a way that, you know, as, as I realized later on, <laughs> many other publishers would not have, or editors would not have. Uh, so, no, I, I think that's perfectly fine. Because, again, this is also, and I think we need to understand, this is small industry. Uh, the people that you think, oh, they've been let go from XYZ, they're just going to show up again in another publisher. Um, you're going to be working with them again, right, in some capacity somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, it's always worth... Um, acknowledging the people who give you a chance, especially when you first come up, you know, when you first come up as a new writer and when you're trying to restart or kickstart a career or break out, do a breakout novel or something like that, um, people who give you a chance, like, should really be acknowledged. And I I don't think there's any, uh, no one would argue with that. Um, Especially... Here's my thing is, is my day job is marketing and advertising writing. So when I come into publishing, I recognize that the editors, unfortunately, have to view this as they're in a corporation and they're Mm -hmm. in a business. Uh, And I think we come to it as, oh, touchy-feely and this and that. There's some aspect, there's there's some truth to that. But with a lot of their stuff, it's, they are, they have to have titles that make money. Um are looking at this from a very different lens than we are looking at it. Um, so, but they don't want to, just like us. We all know it's about money, but we don't want to be like, oh, it's all about money. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, acknowledge everyone. Yeah. They're all doing their best in a capitalist bullshit system. Yeah. yeah. You gave disclaimers, you know, I'm like, oh, shit, bullshit, fuck. So... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, Thank you for the follow, Valkyrie Tina. I just want to say hi and welcome to the uh, stream. What what I tried to do when I won what is now the Astounding Award um, was try to acknowledge that forever, if you get nominated for an award, you're pretty much down in history. Just nomination. Mm -hmm. You're down in history. You will always be on the list of the people who were nominated that year for that thing, and that's huge, and I wanted to acknowledge the other people who were nominated along with me, and, uh, you know, what what they could, what, what they were going to achieve, what I was sure they were going to achieve, and um, just how honored I was, and that felt like me blowing my wad, because no award speech has ever felt that solid since then. Um, when I was up for the, the best novel, I knew I mean, I was up against N.K. Jemison, really. There was no question. But uh, when she won, I was doubly grateful because her award speech was amazing while mine just felt 
terrible. And I know if I had one for some bizarre reason, nobody would have known that her speech was devastating and brilliant and mine was crap. But it was still just, I was just very glad that, that she got to take that, grab that mic. Um, you know, you could also be like Ursula Vernon, who just decided that it would be the biggest bullhorn she could have to tell people about dying whales. I have, I'm, this is me waving my lighter for her. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was there in the audience when she gave that. I'm just going to talk about whale fall. Yep. I'm like, God bless you, Ursula. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, it is rough. But it's it's it, it is a wonderful problem to have. You know what? This is not also something you just want to complain right. about. But it does. It's those two on one writing problems where a lot of one on ones are like, "Why is this a fucking problem?" Yeah. <laughs> like, are you really sitting awake worrying about this? But it is. And and you know, I've talked to other writers about this, uh, whether they're midlist or the one percent writers, where it is. It's like we, your problems are still problems, right? Um, there are different level of problem, but it is something that you still think about and that keeps you up awake at, at night for sure. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you make a bad award speech, people are going to remember that and then it will be a problem for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, well, yeah. Uh, the best thing you could do is make a mediocre speech that nobody remembers. <laughs> <laughs> my mom and my editor, God bless, good night. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, again, like I said, this is your two minutes. So if you get two minutes, like, make the most of the two minutes. Yeah. But that's me. It has been my my wild dream to reproduce Dwight's speech from the Office episode, Dwight's speech, where Jim writes him a speech taken from Mussolini, and then suddenly 2016 and the following years happen, and it's not funny anymore. Mm. So that was annoying. Christian writing says Bob Dylan plagiarized his Nobel lecture. Everyone else is doing fine. <laughs> I did not know that. Um, so something else. Uh, we can get on a big convention thing because I think that's a, you know, when we're in our rooms writing, it's, it's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But when you go to conventions and you're going to be put in front of people for a variety, in a variety of ways, um, you know, if you go to a panel and you're not the moderator, you can just go there and sit and be asked questions and hope you know the answer. But there are times like uh, being a guest of honor. Mm. This one thing was very surprising to me because um, when I got my first guest of honor, I knew guests of honor sometimes got like handlers because they had so much uh, uh, scheduled. But then... I don't know, I just felt like they were expecting something from me that I did not know how to give. Like, was I supposed to be... I don't know. It's like, I just felt so out of water and nobody was telling me what to do. And I felt like I was going to screw up my guest of honor duties when no one said you should do X, Y, or Z. So, Or, or what you should expect when you're a, a guest of honor. And I by, by expect, I don't mean like, presence, I mean, in terms of uh, scheduling or uh, expectations of you or of them. Um, yeah, I wish I could <laughs> I wish I could articulate this better, but it's always been just a sort of, I don't know how to GOH. And I had one experience that was absolutely 
wretched and one that was awesome. So do you ever, okay, here's a question. I'll, I'll ask a pointed question. So someone is treating you rather shittily on a panel. Do you do the, do you know who I am thing? Is there a way you could do, do you know who I am? I, okay, let me give you some context. I was on a panel where we were supposed to be talking about the cartoons of our youth, and the guy who was supposed to be moderating just took it as an opportunity. And the other people on the, on the panel were his friends. So these three guys were just, like, going off about how nostalgic they were for 1980s cartoons and not including me at all. And then about halfway through, he's like, I think it's time we hear from the girl. And at that point, I really was very close to going, I'm the guest of honor, you fuckhead. But I didn't, because I don't, I, I'm not good at that. But uh, yeah, it was just shit like that. And my my reading, that con, was also turned into a critique of Six Wakes, which they did not like. They did not like Six Wakes at all. And they wanted to tell me exactly why and how they did not like it. And I'm thinking, are guests of honor supposed to be treated like this? It's, are con, are panelists and readers supposed to be treated like this? Um, so yeah, it's like, when do you, is there a appropriate time or way to pull rank when shit like that happens to you and you're supposed to be the guest of honor? So, you know, I actually had this conversation with another writer uh, who's from, uh, uh, again, who's main, sometimes not taken as seriously uh, at cons as maybe they should be. And I said, you know what I do? I use humor. So that you can say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm the girl, I'm the fucking girl guest of honor. Yeah. Um. <laughs> There are ways to me that um, humor not only softens the message that you're going to do, but especially with dudes. I'm sorry. Uh, dudes hate that. They hate it. They hate being made fun of or anything that will, because it immediately undermines um, what they're saying. Uh, so a lot of times I will. I will I'll use humor and I'll just say, well, that's, that's super interesting. That's just super interesting, you know, idea about, you know, women's sexuality from a dude. <laughs> I have some other ideas. Right. Um, so I, I tend to use humor quite a lot. And I didn't realize that actually until I talked to my friend about that. Um, but at every, every panel I have been on, I think of the times where I went up against somebody about something. Um, and I, I won't name names, but yeah, there have been a few where I did. I, instead of going at them head on, you know, I would just go, oh, yeah, well, is that really the way that, you know, women think? Or is that really the way that, you know, you, you assume the world should be? Um, you know, as someone who has written, you know, 12 novels, I tend to think. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think as someone who's won, you know, a Hugo and been nominated for the Clark Award twice, you know, I really think, and I think you have to lay it out there like it's funny. Um, and I remember... Uh, a great panel that I was on, uh, again, with Joe Crombie, who is a delight. Uh, but it was just, let's just razz each other and let's just have fun. And I think that, um, you know, using, using humor really works a lot if you're someone who is not taken seriously. And this was a great, this was a great way of putting it. Because someone, uh, I was talking to, I think it was a um, aeronautics club. And 
uh, one of the, the women in the, in the club said it perfectly. And she's just like, so what do you do when you're at a panel or a conference or whatever and someone doesn't take you seriously? And she didn't like gender it or racial, you know, the, the, she said, someone doesn't take you seriously. And I said, oh, that is a wonderful way to put that. Because it is. When you walk into a room, uh, and I get that all the time, where they're like, oh, you're a children's writer, which is totally fine. Children's writer, wonderful. Romance writers are fine. But it is very interesting that people think I'm a children's or romance writer. Uh, and to me, what puts people off guard is using humor. Uh, because it lets them save a little bit of face while making your point very succinctly. Yeah. So. Awesome. Having written 12 novels, <laughs> I can tell you. Well, as the guest of honor at this little shindig, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you my opinion. Yeah. Um, and I do. I, uh, I And I remember you telling that, yeah, about your reading. I, that story just slays me every time. Is that this reading of a novel that has already been, been, you know, accepted for publication turns into a critique session. I was like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. They'd be like, sir. Have a seat, sir. Yeah. <laughs> it's a published novel. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your criticism, sir. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the guys who was at that nightmare um, reading was uh, at the Nebulas when Six Wakes was up for the Nebula. So I that I don't know if he even remembered that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, now that is me all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I just yeah. kept telling my husband, it's like, keep me away from that guy. Just just keep me away from him. That's probably best for everybody. Um, going on with the cons, there are three things that, that besides panels, which maybe I, I don't have a problem with panels, so I, I didn't add that here, but there are three times when you are in front of people, and every, again, everyone thinks you know what to do, and that is cafe clutches, readings, and the guest of honor speech. Coffee Clutches, like, I was so stressed out about my coffee clutch at a recent virtual convention. I went searching to, because I know Mary Robinette Kowal has a lot of early author questions on her blog. And so mm -hmm. I thought maybe somebody's got a how to coffee clutch out there. And I only found people talking about the word and what it means and authors saying, I'll be doing a coffee clutch at this coming con. And so how do you approach yours? Um, so I've only done a couple, and they are horrific. They're just like readings. It's horrific because it's like, well, one person might show up. <laughs> but here's the thing, okay? And this is what I, I forget what I read about this, but be actually interested in the person you're talking to. And that sounds obvious, right? It sounds completely obvious. But I, this was something about communication with work, too, where we, we onboard new people. Ask questions because you're actually interested in knowing the answer. And that sounds stupid, but it's, it's really true. Like, just come in and be like, so, what, what brings you here? What are you interested what, what do you read? What do you, come, come with questions for them because they may not. You have to do that warm-up period, especially mm -hmm. if it's only two or three people. There's a warm-up period. And so you need to come armed with those uh, talking points so that you can get that that repertoire, right? So they feel comfortable with you. And I think one of the things that I work really hard on is establishing very early on, hey, this, this warmth, right? And this 
um, feeling that you we can talk and we've known each other for a while and I'm a very approachable. And I do that on purpose because I want them to feed me questions because that's easier for me, yeah. right, <laughs> to get questions. But it does take a while to like do that initial warm up. And I think that just knowing that going in, saying it's going to take a little while to warm up, especially if it's only two or three people. Oh, I have some, yeah, that's true. I did do one in uh, Sweden that was very, very nice as well. But it was the same idea of, okay, let's talk about things. Here. What books do you like? What drew you to my work? Oh, what are you interested in? Oh, what brought you to the con? Very, you should always have like this very simple set of questions to fall back on when there's a lull. Mm-hmm. And that makes everyone lot better and always remember this is super important too with coffee clutch because we forget is you are the person with the i don't want to say power but you are the person with the um the the conch shell the the psychological you know power in the situation Mm. right so they look upon you for as being the leader mm-hmm. right um and so you have to understand that when you're going into this uh there's a power differential so the more that you ask the better because they're going to feel a little bit weird asking you questions because they see this weird power differential um so keep that in mind too is that you are an authorial construct which elizabeth ha- is how elizabeth there puts it and it's you're not necessarily, they don't know you as a human being, but they know you as this idea in their head. And it's right. like, oh, you're, you're a celebrity, right? And you're just like, I have to clean up dog shit every morning. But <laughs> <laughs> to them, it's like, oh, this is so, you know. So you have to remember where they're coming from. And I think if you remember where they're coming from and how that power differential works, I think it makes it a lot easier um, to kind of navigate that space because then you understand, oh, I need to lead this conversation. I need to be the one having a list of questions. I need to be, hey, so-and-so, tell me what brought you to this convention. I And actually be interested in what brought them to the convention. Um, so, so, yeah, that, that has really helped me is just knowing that um, that you're – you're, you're being authentic in those conversations that you understand the, how the power works. Mm-hmm. What about you? How did you, how do you navigate those? I have, I wear a lot of hats. And so I often ask people if they're there for me to talk about my writing, escape pod, my podcasts, Star Wars. It's, I just kind of throw it out there. And usually somebody will say something that they, they're interested in. And we go in that direction. And if things get slow, I usually ask, what have you seen at the con that's exciting? And what have I missed? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. Uh, and they'll usually tell something pretty interesting. Um, because there's always somebody who would have stood in line for the hot topic thing. And something I would never... I hate mm-hmm. lines. I, I, I learned my, how, how much I love a, a celebrity is measured in how long I'll stand in a line. And there are not a lot of lines I will stand in for a lot of celebrities because I fucking hate lines. Um, anyway, uh, Catwood says, to be fair, Murr's dogs are kind of celebrities too on this stream. Uh, so are Cameron's and our dogs aren't even put together are not as celebrity as our friend Sherry Priest's dogs. So... Oh, yeah, she has the most, yeah, no, that's true. She wins hands down. 
Yeah, I've got I've got one of them here creating a fire hazard for me because he's like curled himself into like the one spot it takes for me to get out from behind this desk. So if there's a fire, we're dead. But um, anyway, see, uh, I love dog Cherie Priest, which is C H E R I E yeah. Priest. Oh, and she's on Instagram, and uh, yeah, she's got the best dog photos. Her dogs yes, are celebrities, absolutely. Yes. Um, so with readings, I have learned to uh, go in knowing what you want. Like, I sometimes ask people, and my husband's just like, don't ask people what they want to read. Read them what you want them to hear. I'm like, oh, I guess that's a good idea. But then um, I also have... Because, I mean, the whole using the humor thing is a great idea, but I am somebody who freezes up at conflict. I just, I just freeze. And so I now, ever since a pretty bad reading, I um, it was one after that where a guy wanted to point out all the scientific inaccuracies of what I had in my book. So I, I will have a ringer in the audience. There was always a ringer in the audience who, if I get a question like that, they will point out that it is not appropriate. And so I have to have somebody, because I will, it, in my goddamn people-pleasing personality, if someone asks me a question, I'll answer it. I know. Awful. Bless I hate it. But, I'm sorry, Cameron? Bless your heart, bro. Yeah. No, I just, I, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, even though I'm dying inside, I'll answer it. So that's why I basically just said, I need a ringer. And, you know, there's always somebody who's a lot more obnoxious and brave than I am who will sit in the audience and, and be there for me when I need... It, it, it hasn't been needed yet, which is good. But it's almost like I got a little bit of confidence once I knew there was somebody out there who was specifically looking out for me. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that helped. So uh, that's what I do for readings. I choose what I want to read. Um... One thing that's funny is not a lot of not all the cons will tell you how long each reading is. Panels are typically like fifty minutes, but sometimes readings are thirty minutes, but they don't tell you you get a thirty minute reading. And like I had a thirty minute coffee clutch at this at the 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 virtual con I was talking about, and we were all startled when it said this this virtual panel is closing down in a minute. I'm like, what, what's going on? Did we have, did we do something wrong? And then, so we went to like to the discord to finish our conversation. And then I found out that the coffee clutches were supposed to be 30 minutes. I'm like, I didn't know. I just knew it started at this time. So, uh, I, I guess another advice is find out how long everything, when things are supposed to end. Uh, shouldn't a moderator do that for you? No writer, Benjamin, we're talking about readings, which is usually just you and the audience, no moderator. Also, I will tell you a secret, Mer. Ooh, tell me a secret. When someone says, whether you're the GOH or panelist or whatever, they're like, so do you want to do a reading? You can say, fuck no, I don't want to do a fucking reading. Fuck that. I have said I that since then. You don't do readings um, anymore I, at all? I don't do them, no. I had one where, <laughs> I had one where, yeah, we had two people show up, or we had, it was two of us. We had four people show up, two of which were our spouses. The other two were, like, knitting and having a great time. And after that, I was just like, what the fuck am I doing? I don't like reading. Yeah. I don't. This is not a fun thing for me. I'm stressed out. It, 
I'm worried all the time about it. I have to perform. It's a performance. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, introvert. If I, if I'm, and I'm an introvert. So I'm like, if I'm doing a reading as opposed to like a Q&A or something like that or, or an in-conversation, which I do love those, is, hey, you're going to be in conversation with Mer Lafferty mm-hmm. or Skull or Gwendolyn Bond. You know, that's fine. Um, but yeah, the, the readings, I was just like, this does not, this does not bring me joy. Yeah. So fuck them. I'm not going to do it. Uh, and, and that I think is also super important as a 201 is to be like, you can choose what you want to do or not want to do. And you should choose the things that you enjoy and that you feel that you're good at. And the other things that you're like, you know what, this is way more work than, you know, I want to do. Um, and pass because yeah. like keynote speeches is usually everyone shows up for a keynote speech mm-hmm. so i've given keynotes i don't mind doing the song and dance for a keynote speech where you have 30 people i don't want to do a song and dance for two people yeah bless you all your hearts but it is a lot of work again it's an introvert um i am channeling my you know drama theater background yeah. and it's really hard because then i go upstairs and then i fall asleep for six hours you know um, so if I'm going to, you know, exert myself in certain ways, then I would like to have the maximum impact on the maximum amount of people. So, yeah, we got, uh, I can't imagine doing a reading at a con. I get nervous. I read so fast. And then I become aware that I'm reading fast. I get nervous. So I read faster. <laughs> yes. Doing the, doing the, uh, losing track of what I'm saying and then realizing I've lost track of what I'm saying and then realizing I'm still fretting about losing track of what I'm saying and then not saying anything, that is a spiral I am well aware of. Uh, Numbers Ninja says, I would do a reading if I didn't have to talk to anyone before or after. Before is probably easy. After is no guarantee. After is like, if you got a back door you could sneak out of, maybe, but usually people want to talk. Um, if, if they do show up at all. If anyone even shows up. Yeah. And that's the thing. If no one shows up, it's actually great because then you yeah. just leave. If one or two people show up, you're like, God damn it, man. Because you got to do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the best readings I ever attended uh, is I, I was... Chuck Palahniuk was doing a book tour, and he came to a tiny little university bookstore. I was pregnant, and so my friend who worked there reserved a seat for me up front because I didn't want to stand for an hour. And so I got to sit in the front, and Chuck Palahniuk's like, I'm not going to read from the book. You all are here to buy the book. You don't need me to read it to you. So I'm just going to tell stories. For this entire time. And he was telling stories about kidney stones and Vicodin and uh, just bizarre stuff. Telling us how many people faint at the reading of his short story Guts. And it was so entertaining. And I don't know if I could be that entertaining. Then again, I talk into a mic like all the fucking time. So maybe I could, maybe I secretly do think I could be that entertaining. But yeah, he just just told us weird-ass stories that supposedly happened to him, and he just entertained us. And he was right. We all bought the book, so it's not like we missed out on anything. We didn't need to hear him read it. So that was uh, a really interesting thing. Ursula and I once mapped out our uh, anglerfish 
wear anglerfish erotica story billionaire wear anglerfish erotica story and uh during a reading of mine at a local con so ursula was drawing on the pad behind me as i was going over our plot and didn't do a lot of uh reading but it was it was pretty entertaining i thought so and that and that to me is the thing it's like people especially these days People want to feel that they've had a connection with you. They want, they're there to be entertained. And you don't have to do, and, and, and again, I look back at that reading that turned me off readings, and I'm like, you know what would have been better is us just sitting in front of the table and just talking to people, mm-hmm. right? And be like, oh, are you just like having an actual, real, honest conversation. Because that's what people are at conventions to have, right? Is you want to have a personal connection with the creators of the things that you love. Um, Cameron, you just created a perfect segue. Sorry, go on, and then we'll segue. Oh, okay. Uh, But yeah, that to me is um, much more valuable, right, than just doing, oh, here's my 20-minute reading, and now all of you leave. It's (laughs) instead, oh, I connected with somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the segue, which on Ditch Diggers we like to point at the segues as excellent segues and hang a lantern on them, is talking about conversation at cons. Uh, when Cameron and I were talking about the whole author 201 thing, uh, she pointed out that a lot of new authors fret about conventions and bar con and networking. So we were going to cover that. Um, it's uh, there, there's, there's stress about alcohol. There's stress about... Um, meeting people, approaching people, all that kind of stuff. So we're going to, we should talk about that. So what what do you tell people when they tell you they're worried about their first convention or coming up or not drinking at a con or something? Uh, you know, I get it. I absolutely get it because let me tell you, um, that was, was and it is, honestly, a little bit still, uh, one of my uh, biggest anxiety things. I mean, I have huge anxiety. Um and, uh, you know, I would just, again, tell people that rem- remind yourself you are there to have fun and enjoy yourself with other people who like the same things or similar things that you do. So when you go into the bar, you don't have to drink. I like to drink because I'm a drunk. <laughs> you don't have to drink. You can have much. I have plenty of writer friends who drink, you know, their Diet Coke or their iced tea, Scalzi, you know, Howard Taylor, we, we yeah. you know, Sanders knows. Uh, so, you know, you can go, but it's it's about that being in the same space with people in an indoor environment and just talking about things you love. Um, and that's probably something that I would recommend to everyone is just keep in mind you are just there to have a good time and meet people with similar interests to yours. Uh, I was telling Murr, <laughs> I was telling Murr before we started this live stream, um, that I had a colleague who once came to me, I was like, oh, I gotta connect. I have this list of people I need to connect to at this convention. And I'm like, <laughs> that's not gonna work. Because what ends up, Here's the thing is that not only do we all sniff that immediately, right? We all can smell that. Um, but it's also, you're not having fun either. Yeah. It's not fun for you. Uh, and also, you are ignoring potential connections you're going to make with people who you actually really like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people who are like, how oh, can they advance my career forward? And I, I, um, 
I remind people of this all the time. Like, I have met people at conventions who were nobody, and I was nobody. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 10 years or 20 years later, you know, they've got TV shows, and I'm myself, and whatever. But it's like, you meet them because you have similar passions and interests. Uh, and I think if you're, if you're only climbing, and you're only ever climbing, like, people know that, and they can sense it, and it's a turnoff. Yeah. So just go in and have a really good time. Um, I think uh, uh, Jim Butcher was actually talking about that, where um, his agent at the time, um, he, he didn't have an agent yet, and he had sent it to someone, and then he ended up going to, to dinner with her, and they were talking about Amber Diceless role-playing. Amber mm-hmm. Diceless role-playing. Yeah, and, uh, and she's like, you know, you said over this dinner, and again, it was just a group dinner, they all, you know, were there at BarCon, right? Um, she's like, well, you know that, you know, you said you have knowledge, you sent it to me. He's like, well, I did, and you rejected it. And she's like, well, yeah, but that's before I knew you liked Amber Diceless role-playing. <laughs> that's awesome. I know that I got his agent, for better or worse, but consider that right like just go and have a good time and people pick up on you having a good time and you never know where you're all gonna be at in a few years um the people who climb are just ugh. yeah yeah you know I, when yeah I've, uh, I've i've said in a joking but slightly serious way that um uh, so i'm friends with dong Wan song an agent uh he's matt's agent and I've known him for a long time because he was the first editor to ever contact me and say, "Hey, let's. I like your. I like you know what you do in your podcast and stuff. Let's talk at WorldCon." And I remember we had coffee at the Reno WorldCon, and it was awesome. And um, then soon after he left, and he gave my uh, book to Davy, who then bought it for Orbit. But Don Juan and I have been friendly ever since. And there was one time I saw him at a con and we were sitting at the bar having a drink and I just realized, I'm like, I don't need an agent. I feel like I'm cock-blocking a lot of potential clients for you. <laughs> and he said, we're friends, Mur. You can sit next to me and talk. And, you know, that was true. But that's also... See, I, I, I dislike how we talk about networking because it really is meeting like-minded people that you want to help out in your career. I have never, like, I I was honored to be asked a coffee with Dong Wan back in Reno, but honestly, ever since then, I chose to spend time with him, and he chose to spend time with me, and, you know, he's helped out my career more than once since then, just by, you know, introducing me to people or whatever, and it's not like, I must network with Dong Wan. It's like, hey, there's that guy I know. I really like him. I'm going to go say hi, and it's just, it's just being a nice person. It's like, if you're worried about just looking for what you have in common, well, number one, it's probably science fiction. You know, one of the (laughs) best things you can do to approach an editor or agent is say, what do you have coming out that you're really excited about? Or say, I loved Anne Leckie's last book. Can you tell me about what she's got next? Or something like that. Because that, num- number one, I mean, you're talking about something that you love and they love. And number two, you're saying, I've paid attention to your work. And and you're still not being sleazy about it because it's all organic, like you said, Cameron. So this is a pretty good example that I like to try out now that Daniel Abraham is famous. 
Um, so back in 2007, I was just a, I was just a blogger and I was just writing like reviews of people's work. And Daniel Abraham, who is one half of James S.A. Corey, who writes for The Expanse, um, he actually walked across the foyer at World Fantasy and came up to me and said, oh, I really enjoyed the blog that you wrote, the review you wrote about my first book. Well, his first book is an amazing fantasy series that hardly anyone has read because it tanked. Um, but I still think it's among his, his best work. Uh, and I was like, you know, at the time. Uh, but, you know, we connected, and we went to uh, The Prestige with a bunch of other friends and stuff like that, and I, and I kept uh, kept up with him for a while, and I ended up gaming at his house, I think, when Light Brigade came out, because I have family out in Albuquerque. He turns out he's in Albuquerque. Um, and he was like, oh, do you, need, do you need, like, blurbs for the Light Brigade? And I was like, well, no one's read in my address. And so I mean, I was profuse. He's like, oh, I'll take a look at it. And he ended up blurbing the Light Brigade as just James S.A. Corey. Uh, but if I would have, like, right, like, how do you think about that, you know, <laughs> in 2007, you don't. Yeah. It's just, you you just meet people, and yeah. you think they're interesting, and their work is interesting, and you connect, and you watch shows together, and you communicate, and, you know, whatever. Um and there's so many different people I think about that, you know, continually who I met early on in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, who don't know. We don't know if they didn't know if I'm going to be here in five or ten years. Yeah. I don't know if they're going to be here in five or ten years. We don't know if any of our work is going to hit. George R. R. Martin's a great example. His first novel tanked. It did horrible. That's why I went to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, the first three... Um, you know, Game of Thrones novels did mediocre, and then they finally started to hit. Um, you never know what's going to happen. So just just meet people and have a good time. Uh, because to me, and, and, and find people whose work that you really enjoy. Because you're being authentic, right? Like, I have met so many great writers whose work I just really enjoy, or humans whose work I really enjoy, um, and we really get along. And uh, to me, that's that's the way to actually, quote unquote, network. I know it's stupid, right? But it's it's actually just finding a support network or finding people who whose work you enjoy. So yeah, I um, and and I want to reiterate that you don't have to um, you really don't have to drink, and you don't have to hide the fact that you're not drinking. Um, I, mean, I, I am not good at conflict at all, as I've said. I'm a big wimp. But at one point, um, I, I know what I can handle, and I know what will make me sick. And I had I was in my late 30s, and I had friends doing shots of some ungodly thing as they were recording a podcast. And they're like, Murr, you want to come on? I'm like, yeah, sure, but I'm not drinking that shit. And... He actually called me a pussy. And I'm like, I'm 38. That doesn't work on me anymore. <laughs> I don't care. I sure think that about me. Whatever you say about me will not hurt as much as the hangover will tomorrow. So, sure, think that about me. No problem. And that is, And that was from a friend who was half tongue-in-cheek, half being a dick. But, uh... That's the worst I've ever gotten, and that's just for not drinking the specific thing. I have never heard anybody give John Scalzi shit or Howard Taylor shit for 
not drinking. He's, it's just like, oh, there's Scalzi. He's at the bar. He's having Coke. He doesn't drink. He's still fun to talk to. It's just... And our Diet Coke, however. Yeah, I just... Yeah. And, and, yeah, like that obsession, that, that question for me from newer writers, always fascinating to me because, and again, some of us just love to drink because we talk about drinking and maybe that's some of it, but like, no one gives a shit yeah. what you're drinking at the bar. We really don't care. We're there to just talk about, let's talk about books and maybe we're going to rant about our careers, um, but we really don't care. Yeah, I, I think it's things that people have anxiety about that actually doesn't mean anything. No one cares. Yeah. Really, the only time it's it ever comes up, sometimes it comes up to me like it, it late at night when people are still drinking and I know that I'm done, is I'll like, you know, buy me a bottled bubbly water. If, if somebody wants to do like a round, just say, just get me a club soda. I don't care. I just, it's not a big deal. And then, and nobody like thinks, no, you should keep drinking. They're just like, okay, I'll get you a bottle of water. No problem. And I have never thought that happen. Yeah. Where someone was like, no, have a Jaeger. You know, yeah. no, <laughs> no. Oh. They all know, especially this is a professional event, right? Yeah. Like a lot of us, I recognize our limit. Right. And so I'm going to have a good time. I have two, three drinks. And we're like, now we're done. Mm-hmm. Some don't. And they are Twitter famous for that. <laughs> but <laughs> but most of us know, you know what? Now we're done. It's like, oh, great. I'll get you a seltzer water. No problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to give a little bit of attention to chat because they're, they're continuing. We got uh, back to the readings. Writer Benjamin says, I've actually bought books from, I didn't intend to buy from reading. So that's fair. Um Let's see, working book signings were always fun Fun from Indigo Quill. And then uh, Kids Are Asleep says, so, gra- so sad when great books tank. And when awful books soar, says Under Pope. Uh, more great books tank than awful books soar, and plenty of awful books soar because life, says Kit. Yes. Um, hey, Agent, I saw you published X, which was really awful, so obviously you'll publish anything. So here's my manuscript. So Under Pope has a really great way of approaching... <laughs> line in the yes. bar not the pickup line yeah. <laughs> yes that's a winning pitch uh okay writer benjamin says how much is too much to stay professional how much what do you do you actually mean out al- alcohol or networking or what it's i mean everybody knows their own limits some people you know are tipsy after a glass of wine and some are okay with a bottle but uh Oh, wow. Christian says, in academia, there's a one-drink rule that no one will tell you about until you get stares for ordering a second beer. Is that, It's the same at cons. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, if Again, someone else is buying... Sorry, go on. To our detriment, I was just like, yeah, some people I think we should cut off a lot earlier than we do. Yeah. yeah. If somebody else is buying, you might want to put it on your own tab if you want another drink but uh no there's no there's no unsaid one drink rule uh, i've some, never encountered that yeah some parties will have drink tickets um but those are rare and then the drinks the parties with the with the free drinks will be either invite only or so tightly packed that you can't have any fun i don't go to the tour party at worldcon anymore it's just, mm-hmm. I always thought it was a great place to meet some of my favorite authors, but then you go in there, and it's like, you're packed like sardines, and everyone's sweating, and it's like, where's the bar? I don't know if I want to go across the room to the bar, because that will be like, no, and, and, yeah. Yeah, 
And here's the thing, too, with some of those big parties where you think, oh, all the haves and have-nots or whatever are there. But you know what? You're going to get more one-on-one conversation going to the bar. Yeah. Where you're two or three people just sitting at a table than trying to shoulder your way in at the yeah. big tour party. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so let's see. We are almost, we're at an hour, so we'll need to wind down yeah. soon. But um, let's talk about agent stuff. There's, the, oh, yeah. first, when do you know it's, your agent isn't working out for you? Because it's never any, it's, it's kind of like the frog in the pot. You're, you're kind of just getting warmer and warmer, and you can't really tell when it becomes uncomfortable until you realize that, things aren't happening for your career and you have to look at it. So at what point do you realize you have to fire your agent or at least have a talk with them? And then how do you do that? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not asking for personal questions. I'm asking for over, over no, personal no, questions. But Mar, you and I, right? Especially Mark, poor Mar has been through many agents, but I, uh, no, for me, <laughs> uh, there were, there were many small, um, small mistakes in things and uh, me having to ask and initiate a lot of conversations uh, about my career, about um, about contracts, about all sorts of things where I just realized that, you know, my agent was kind of being a passive partner and what I needed, and again, we're all going to be different and, and this is why some people are, are still with my former agent. It's just like, I needed someone who's going to be an active participant in my career and who could um, give me uh, advice and um, help me steer, like, what are we going to work on next? And what I found also was that I really liked having, you know, an agent who gave a lot more, uh, who is a lot more um, involved uh, just in the creative process. Right. But I think, you know, and here's the thing also with agents. Never feel bad that you've gone through two or three or ten agents. Because you don't know. I'm here for you, girl. Because you don't know, starting out, what you need for You don't know what works for you. You don't know what relationship you want. And it was actually talking to some other people about their relationships with their agents that made me go, you know, I really want that relationship with my agent. And I just don't feel the agent that I have is going to give me that. Yeah, which I mean, is true. Yeah, and like, that's fine yeah. because for other people, where you know they're just like, I just want to send my agent a book and her to sell it and send me a check. But that wasn't the business relationship that I was looking for. Right. And it took, but it, but I wouldn't have known that right as a baby writer at when did we? I signed with her. I was twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have known that before going through that process. Yeah. Uh, and so, don't feel bad about having to go through that process to understand what you need, right? In any relationship, sometimes you have to figure out what it is you need from that relationship. Yeah, it's it, because, I mean, it's not just I need an agent to fill this little hole on my wooden block puzzle. I'm going to need this shape of agent and s- slot them in there and then everything works. No, it's agents are all different and... Just like writers are all different, and so they're going to approach your career differently than someone else is. And as long as they're, you know, 
legit feels too casual of a word, but, you know, there's a pl plenty of people out there who will I screw you. Email. What? <laughs> as long as they answer your email. Yeah, answering email's good, yeah. But, I mean, it's like, if you go on Writer Beware, you're going to find out all the people who are really dangerous and, and will take from you. But there are plenty of agents out there who just won't work with you the way you want them to. Just, I mean, we, we compare it to a marriage or a partnership like that because that's almost how it feels. You're going to have your personality quirks and they're going to have theirs and you see if you work together well, see if you expect the same thing from each other and then hopefully you'll work together well. Um, and it's it's rough to... And you know, we're, it, it, the agent relationship is so weird because... We see them as having the power because there are this many of them and this many of us. But we're their clients. We we call the shots. We just maybe not understand all the shots. Money. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they're handling our books, our money, and if you know you know, my, my former agent is no longer agenting, but one thing she did that I really respected was when uh, I had a deal and one one publisher wanted world rights, and it was for more money than another publisher asking for world English rights. And she did not want me to take the world rights, but she didn't say that. She said, okay, I'm going to go to our foreign rights agent and I'm going to get a list of all the places Six Weeks has sold and for how much money each territory paid for. And she gave me this list. And it added up to more than what extra they had offered in the deal. And so instead of just saying, no, don't take that deal, she said, let's look at the math. And maybe you should make your decision based on this. And, you know, I respected that she gave me all that information without actually telling me what to do because it was ultimately my decision. And she yes. left it up to me. And, um, you know, they're there to advise and they will. But you need to know and they, and they should respect that it is ultimately your decision. So um, that is all the questions on my list. Uh, I'm going to ask chat if you have any questions regarding uh, Author 202 convention convention stuff, because conventions are starting up again, and that's exciting. Oh, do you think we'll get Confusion this year? Do you, think we'll get Conf do you think we'll get Confusion next year? I'm just thinking about that. You know, um, my day job wants us to all go to a retreat in September, so... I'm thinking that by January, yeah, we will probably be okay. Uh, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Confusion is a very awesome, it's probably the best little convention that I've been very, to. Yeah. And again, it's nice that it's in the middle of the United States, yeah. so it's like, you can come from wherever. But there are um, a lot of really me, so. fun, awesome authors in that area. So we get, like, Tobias Bakel and Cameron and John Scalzi seeing it as, like, that's their drive-down-the-road home con. And, you know, those are... Oh, and Maurice Broaddus is, is in Indianapolis, yeah. and so he's close by-ish. And um, it's just you've got a lot of... A lot of authors find it really easy to get there. And so if you're not in that area, but you think it might be worth going, a lot more editors and agents are going now. 
because they it's just are. yeah, it's it's like this this hot little con that not a lot of people know about. And if you go and a day early, you can see authors do drunken yeah. karaoke. And you will be drunk and doing karaoke, yeah. And again, and it's very affordable, which again, authors are not rich people, despite yeah. the one percent. Many of us are not rich, uh, so it is nice to have something that is uh, again very centralized. That uh, again, it's in Detroit. It's outside of Detroit, but no vibe, yeah, yeah, it's in an affordable place. So again, yeah, it's really a lot cute. of these, I can't afford to go to you know, some of these, uh, the coasts, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a good con. And the author fan ratio is very good. So if you are an aspiring writer um, and you want to drink your mocktails and just hang out in the bar, oh, yeah. and, you know, if you're like, oh, I hear you're talking about Semiosis by Sue Burke, a Cameron, I would love to talk about Semiosis by Sue Burke, then come on, come on in. So, yeah, yeah, there's um. Here's the thing. I understand in the bar, like sometimes, yeah, it's two, me and two of three of my friends talking about stuff. But sometimes, um, I'm very happy to open up the the circle. You know, if we're talking about a general general topic and uh, and invite folks in. So, yeah. Uh, we're talking about Confusion, which is in uh, Novi. You'll fly into Detroit. It's like a half hour drive from Detroit, and then um. It's in January, and I think we've only had a lot of snow maybe once, but Detroit knew how to deal with the snow, so it was just like, oh, look, there's a lot of snow, and then we get into the car, and you go get your plane and go home. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. So we have one question from Kit. Um, my one attempt at getting a dealer table ended with me reserving, this is an indie, indie author, I reserved one eight months in advance and then three weeks prior being canceled due to favored people needing my space. As an indie author, how do I avoid that? And. Well, don't. I mean, don't go to that con clearly because they fucked you. Well, there should be a, a clause in the con. I mean, there should be a contract involved I, to. Yeah, I'm just like, that's say this unprofessional is, for me. Yeah. Um, so, it depends. And here's the thing is. You know, what con was it? How, uh, yeah. Again, to your point, Mar, um, there should be professional things. And I think that that's some of the issue, too, is um, there's tiers as far as the professionality of some of these conventions. Uh, and, yeah, if somebody's, you know, screwing you over and not doesn't have a great contract, then, you know, don't don't do it. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to get your refund kit. But yeah, I guess make sure you get a contract. That's the only thing I can say. And then that should protect you no matter whether you're an indie author or not. Don't do that con again. That's a very clear. That yeah, too. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. If someone, and that's the thing too. I've had cons. <laughs> World fantasy in Brighton, fuckers. Um, I've heard of that con. Oh, right? It's infamous right yeah. here. Fuck her. Fuck them. Um, just don't, don't do it. And, uh, just, yeah, don't do it again. Because it's not worth your, it's not worth your time. Um, yeah, for sure. So what right. happened at Brighton? Okay. <laughs> Brighton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brighton. Uh, so I was invited to go to World Fantasy Brighton. And I think, um... Yeah, Brighton, UK. So of course, I had to get on a plane. It's all this money, right, involved. My my first my first series was out. Blah blah blah. 
Um, they they uh, said, hey, Cameron, we have you on programming. Since you're flying out, you're doing all these things. You've had this year. Again, I've been nominated for some awards. We want to have you do this panel on strong female heroines. And I was like, oh, you're high. I don't want to just do strong female heroines because that's cliche and ridiculous. Um, so, hey, here's some other things I can do. I can do world building. I can do how to do characters. I can do a conflict. I give them all these other ideas. And they came back to me. I think I saw this email. And they said, well, as much as we would like to do that, we only put panelists on uh, on programming that we feel that they are um, qualified to do. And I was just like, so all I'm qualified to do <laughs> Oh shit. Oh, female protagonist panel. And that's it. And I was like, you can go fuck yourself and I'm gonna remove myself from this panel. So that was the first thing. Did they not think that you you had to put those female characters into a setting? Into a world building thing? More to this day, I just was like, are you kidding? It was this is twenty thirteen. I'm like Oh Is this eight, five? Yeah. But anyway, so the second thing was horribly um, not at all an accessible uh, uh, venue for any of this. Like there were stairs and it's confusing and nobody knew where to do anything. Um, and then also, so they're like, okay, everybody wants to do readings or signings. Yeah, there was signings in the big convention thing. Said, oh, it's great that you all want to do signings there, but. We're not going to print out signs with your name on them. You have to bring your own. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then we all lined up and we're standing in line. I remember I was, I was standing next to Mary Robinette Cole. And I'm just like, we're all standing and waiting for the, the venue to open. And it was just like we were just treated like the shit stains of the earth. Right? And Neil problems. Yeah, Neil Gaiman was the um, guest of honor. And so at first I thought, oh, they must have just treated him wonderfully and it was wonderful. And But afterwards I had heard that even Neil Gaiman was like, that was the shittiest convention. <laughs> wow. awful. Everywhere. They treated everyone. And I'm just like, why would you treat the people who are, you know, we're the programming. Yeah. We're the way people show up. Why are you treating us like shit and your convention people like shit? Everyone was treated horribly. Anyway, so Brighton. I'm going to bring that up to the day I died. Wow. I was 85 years old as like a convention uh, GOH and being like, let me tell you about Brighton in 2013, those fuckers. I'll be doing the same thing about Albacon. Just right? No. <laughs> let's no. hear from the girl. <laughs> Some of these stories are evergreen, man, where you're just... My dog's whining to get out, so I have to step away from the camera for, like, a second. But, Cameron, somebody wants to know... uh, Where was it? Crap. (laughs) But the the chat moved. Sorry, was it... Yes, the kids are asleep. Val wants to know, is there any way not to approach people at a con? Don't put on them. <laughs> don't what? Yeah, 
don't hit on them. Oh, I mean, God. Uh, don't be, uh, this is a business. And this is why I think academia, if you are coming from academia, this helps. Um, don't, don't hit on them. <laughs> don't. <laughs> Please don't. Just don't even go there. Um, and I get it. Like, for some people, this is all you got. But try to, like, connect with them, like, through their work or through a panel. Hey, and this is this is one that also really works for me is I have people come up to me all the time in the bar. Hey, that panel you just did was really amazing. I really liked your thoughts on X, Y, and Z. Oh, and I'm, oh, really? And I'll be sitting at the bar by myself, right? If I'm, if I'm sitting in the bar, I'm there to talk to people. Um, if I, otherwise, I'm going to be in my room and, you know, watching HGTV. So if you're like, oh, I really loved your panel. I was like, oh, that's great. What did you love about it? You know, what, what are you here for? I will actually try and start a conversation. Yeah. Um, it's when people, I think, uh, yeah, are like, I'm going to treat this as my personal, like, dating service. That is a huge problem. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. Yep. That, that, that to me is the ultimate red flag. Nope, 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 nope. Or, oh, here's another good one. Or if you want to argue with me oh, about something to with my books. I oh, have somebody someone. asked it with your books. Wow. Yeah, no, I did have some, I did have someone, and this was in Spain, but I did have someone who was just like, well, I don't think that character XYZ would have reacted this way, you know, when she did XYZ. And I'm just like, oh, well, that's a very interesting opinion. Sign your book. Here you go. Okay, well, I got to help the next person. I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> My book is published. It is done. Unless we have had uh, a lot more interfacing, I don't give a shit. Um, so if you want to come to me, talk. let's talk about something relevant. Let's talk about, hey, I really liked XYZ work, or I really enjoyed what we said in this panel, or that's a great way to open. If you want to close with, and I think your work is shit, well, that's <laughs> But at least we have started a conversation beforehand. I did have but, someone else do that. Very early in my career where he was just like, oh, yeah, you're Cameron Hurley. Yeah, I read the Worldbreaker saga. I thought it sucked. I'm like, oh. And here was the great thing, Mark, where I was like, oh, really? Well, you know, a lot of people who didn't like these particular books, I think it was the God's War. No, he didn't like the God's War series. I said, you know, they didn't like the God's War series, but they really liked the Worldbreaker saga. Oh, really? And he, like, responded to it and read the World Worker Saga and wrote, actually, a really nice review of it and said it was great. Wow. So, you gotta also, like, prepare for these moments of, like, so, and sometimes just people are awkward and sometimes just people are jerks. A lot of times it's awkwardness. Yeah. But, um, yeah, don't, don't insult a writer. Like, why would you do that? Why would you bring that up? If you didn't like it, no one cares. Yeah. No cares. Yeah. No, I mean, even if even if you do care, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Nothing. Why are you bringing it up? How does this start a conversation? Yeah. How does this, you know what I'm saying? Um, again, because I have many people that I know who I love in the industry where I may not read their books, but we get along very well and it's wonderful. Why would I ever bring up, and also I thought your book was shit. Why would you do that? The most it can do is hurt their feelings. It can't achieve anything else. Nothing. Nothing else. Yeah. 
But, uh, okay, so the Kids Are Asleep wants to know your favorite HGTV show, and then we're going to wrap it up, because i got to go make a soup. Oh, boy, soup. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Um, my favorite HGTV show. Um, obviously, it's Joanna Gaines and her empire. <laughs> obviously? I love her. She's a hot... We all know that they are a hot mess. Um, but she's a very good business person. Um, and it's all scripted and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, no. Very, very smart human being, uh, who is very problematic. But you know what? I admire the hustle. So, yeah. What about you, Mar? Do you watch HGTV? I don't. I don't. Um, I have started that English Garden show I think you hooked me into. I can't remember the uh, name of it. Is World? I think so, yeah. And and I watched a couple of those. But, uh, no, I, I don't watch... Unless I'm visiting my mom, who's always got HGTV on. But And my husband likes... Uh, he calls them shows where other people work and you watch. So... Yes. Uh, no, I'm still, I'm still mostly forged in fire and cooking shows for me. So... Um, oh, Kay Kimmy wants to know the English Garden show we're talking about. Gardener's World with Monty Don. Uh, you can get it on a BritBox, uh, which is again Netflix, or on YouTube. Frankly, if you search new YouTube for Gardener's World, you are going to find a plethora of delightful, delicious, relaxing gardening shows narrated by wonderful English-accented human beings. And that has sustained me through these last two years of quarantine. Yeah, so. I did watch it, but I got really, really irritated with the fact that it's like, I'm going to plant this tree now. And their shovel just goes right into the dirt and pulls the dirt out. And they put the plant down. And then I go into my backyard. I'm like, I'm going to plant this tree now. There's a root. There's another root. The shovel just bent because there was another root. I'm in North Carolina, so all the soil is clay. It's like, fuck all y'all in England, because you can't just plant a tree like that. You can't, and you know why, Mer? Because here's the thing that the English people do, which I didn't realize, okay? I had to get deep, deep into the gardener's world fandom wow. before I realized they double-dig their soil. So they actually have already... Dug it up. They put cow manure. They they dug the next row. They dug the next row. They they have dug up that whole fucking plot. There so is no. They're just there to make you feel bad. It's there to make you feel bad that you didn't double dig your entire fucking lot, which I will never ever ever do. I will only dig out like what I am planting something in. But oh my god, yeah. The 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 deeper I got, I was just like, holy shit, these people like actually dig the whole plot out first and then they plant things and that's why the soil is so airy and yes. voluptuous yes so we got lots of fortune fire talk and red mud problems thank you christian writing you get me and uh on the plus side i will never accidentally dig up a world war ii live grenade like i saw in one show that's true k kimmy it's very <laughs> unlikely Cameron, I could talk to you all night, but I'm out of wine, and I gotta go cook. So, uh, tell us where to find you online, and I want to say Cameron will be back because she has offered to hang out with me once a month until Matt comes back. So, very excited about that. Thank you so much for helping out, Cameron. Not only just being here and being awesome, but you're helping out where when Matt had to step away, and I really appreciate that. 
absolutely. I have been Matt having to do day job and book a year, so I totally get it. Uh, no, you can find me, obviously, at uh, CameronHurley.com, at CameronHurley on Twitter, or at CameronHurley on Instagram. Those are my main... Uh, oh, and also, of course, if you want a short story from me, brutal and brilliant and maybe gardening-themed, uh, every month, do Patreon.com forward slash CameronHurley. Yep. Yes, and um, follow her Instagram. It's just the the the, the she's been like, a, a, like an English fairy with what she's done to her backyard. You remember when in in Karate Kid when Daniel goes into Mr. Miyagi's backyard for the first time? That's what it's like looking at Cameron's Instagram. It's like how is this place where you are? I just don't even understand. I'm so jealous. It's amazing what you've done. To your your backyard but um anyway if you want to support my show it is uh patreon.com slash mighty at twitch we are mer- uh, <laughs> i remember all this one day twitch.tv slash mighty and my website is merverse.com which is where you can find the links to everything i just said so thank you guys next um next week we're gonna have alistair stewart as not matt and that's going to be a Tuesday midday. Unfortunately, in order to bring in live streaming not Matt people, I'm going to be switching the times of each live stream a little bit. We're going to be like Tuesday at 1 or Wednesday at 1 or Thursday at 5. So just subscribe on Twitch to get to find... If you want to catch it live, you need to follow on Twitch and then you'll get the message. I will try to put up schedules to, find, to show when next week's going to be. But Alistair Stewart on Tuesday at 1. Thank you so much, Cameron. Thank you, Mer. Bye-bye! You can support us at patreon.com slash mightymer. Ditch Diggers! Theme song by Devo Spice. DevoSpice.com